0: Well, good evening. It's good to see you. It's been a beautiful day. And we're grateful for every day that the Lord gives us, aren't we? And these have been wonderful days together at Syker. I had to go home yesterday after uh, the morning service. Had uh, just a couple of things to deal with. And as a pastor, I mentioned to one of the individuals here that if there's anything predictable in pastoral ministry, it is the unpredictable. And so I had to uh, address a couple of matters. And I was thankful that the matter that needed attention came out absolutely differently than what I thought it was uh, going to uh, be and how it was going to conclude. And for that, I am grateful. I would just say to you, though, if you're ever contemplating, just as a word of, this is an aside, but just as a recommendation from a pastor who said a long time ago, I will never pastor a church that has a daycare. I just want you to know um, it's still ill-advised to have a daycare. May I just say that? Um, I love little kids. It's not that I don't like little kids. I have three grandchildren. I love them dearly. But I would just say don't ever have a daycare. Um, And here's why. The children are not the problem. (laughs) Wink, wink, nod, nod. The children are not the problem. So you asked me, and I'm glad you did, who who is the problem? Thank you. I'm glad you asked. I want to get this off my chest. I need to. The parents and the personnel. So the bottom line is it's the adults. Daycare would be great if we could just kind of bring all the kids in, Velcro them together, and just let them have a good day. All right. I've already almost come unhinged, so I better, I better move on. Um, you know, it's, it's just interesting what God does I said several things to my wife When I met her at Circleville Bible College In 1979, before we were married I did tell her this She, she was in that denomination And I came from a different denomination And I told, I told her rather smugly I said, I'll tell you one thing I'll never pastor in this denomination Yep Um, and then, uh, number two, I said, you know, I, I don't ever want to live in Ohio. You know, I came from Pacific Northwest, Indiana was bad enough, I thought I don't want to live in Ohio. Yep. Third, I will never pastor a church that has a daycare. So I'll just be honest with you, God has a remarkable sense of humor, doesn't he? He'll take us down roads that we don't expect. All right, we're looking tonight at a hallmark text. It's one that I'm sure you've heard preached before, especially here at a camp meeting. But God lays things on our hearts to remind us that these things are true, and we need to revisit them. And he also uses different thoughts and different directions to help us see the many facets of his truth. So we're going to look tonight at 1 Peter chapter 1, and the focus of that. Uh, look tonight, our, our glance tonight will be verses 13 through 16, but I want to read the verses that precede that because there's a context and I don't want us to miss the context. So we're looking then at starting the reading in verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope "...through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice." even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ, and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And I don't want you to miss this little phrase, things into which angels long to look. What a phrase. Therefore, I remember some evangelists saying every time you see therefore, we need to look at what it's there for. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the one who called you, Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. That's quite an opening to a letter, isn't it? I've received a few letters. Anymore, you know, all we do is text, email, social media, Facebook. I got off Facebook a long time ago. I was on it briefly. When I first got on Facebook, my son told me, Dad, you baby boomers took over Facebook and ruined it. He was in college at the time. It's really true. I learned a lot of things being on Facebook, most of which were things I did not want to know about my people. Just to be honest with you, if I can just vent for just a moment longer, I'll get off the whole, you know, child care thing but I'll tell you what, those kids are better than the child care you see on Facebook I got off of Facebook because I didn't want to see in many respects just how foolish how self-centered a lot of my people were boy it's quiet in here If anything social media has given us, it has given us an unchecked opportunity to just live a selfie life. A selfie life. You know, there was one person on there who's a friend, lives out in Oregon, but I thought, how many pictures of yourself can you take in one day? What is physically possible? Isn't that an interesting phenomenon, though? You just see where people spend their time. Now, if you were wondering if that's where I'm going, I'm not. I just put that in for free and uh, hope it can be of encouragement to you. One of, the, one of the women in my Sunday school class not too long ago said, Pastor, you never contact me, t- contacted me about such and such. And I said, I did not know that this was happening. She said, I put it on Facebook I said, I don't live on Facebook. So call me. Speak to me. Use words to me. Form sentences with me. Let's have a conversation as human beings. One of the things that Paul or Peter mentioned in this text is in verse 2, this idea of foreknowledge. And I came across a quote by John Wesley that I thought was just excellent. I wanted to share with you as we get into this text. He said, Strictly speaking, there is no foreknowledge, no more than afterknowledge with God. But all things are known to him as present from eternity to eternity. Election in the scriptural sense is God's doing anything that our merit or power has no part in. The true predestination or foreappointment of God is this, and then he offered three points. First, he that believeth shall be saved from the guilt and power of sin. Second, he that endureth to the end shall be saved eternally. Three, They who receive the precious gift of faith, thereby become the sons of God. And being sons, they shall receive the spirit of holiness to walk as Christ also walked. Then he went on and said this. Throughout every part of this appointment of God, promise and duty go hand in hand. Note that. Promise and duty go hand in hand. All is free gift, and yet such is the free gift that it depends in the final issue on our future obedience to the heavenly call. Other predestination than this, either to life or death eternal, the scripture knows not of. So what he was saying was this, there simply isn't Any kind of promise in God's word to you or to me that doesn't also require of you and me obedience. There isn't anything that God gives as a gift that doesn't require some duty to it and some obedience in it. God doesn't just arbitrarily save us or sanctify us. He actually makes the gift available to us but He also demands that we work. He demands that we don't receive the gift by works but that we work in cooperation with what He expects of us so that His gift can be applied to you and to me in its fullness. He expects duty and He expects obedience. The work of our triune God never is coercive. Never does He bypass our free wills, never does He opt to eliminate the responsibility to obey. He never eliminates that. He doesn't override or nullify our wills, but He preveniently enables our wills to choose the good. Aren't you thankful for that? You and I have been affected by sin to the point where our wills or our ability to choose are almost completely blunted. But prevenient grace that comes from the operation of the Holy Spirit makes it possible for you to choose. We are grace-aided even in our response to God. He enables us to be able to choose. He never, ever overrides our will. But he will encourage our wills. He will invigorate our wills so that that which was disabled by sin can be made alive to be activated to respond to him so that we avoid deeper and deeper enslavement. And for that, we ought to give God praise. Now, these people are clearly believers. They have been affected By the blood of Christ, they have experienced new birth. Peter testifies about that. They have a new hope. They have a new life. They have new faith. They walk in newness of life. They have also encountered a form of sanctifying grace. We would look at that. Wesley would call that initial sanctification. They have encountered great grace. And as John Juneman reminded us tonight, being forgiven is no small thing. Having our sins forgiven and getting a beautiful, innocent do-over in life is a marvelous gift from God. And we ought to thank Him for that. They were born again to a living hope. And one of the beautiful things that we cited at the close of verse 12 was this phrase, I I don't know that we find it anywhere else, I haven't found it anywhere else, than what Peter, who was inspired to write this, shared with us. He made this statement, things into which angels long to look. The grace of God, His redemptive purpose in Jesus Christ... The power of the blood of Jesus Christ not only to offer us forgiveness of our sins and new birth, newness of life, but the application of that same blood to cleanse us from all sin and change us on the interior of our life and make us absolutely hungry after the very presence of God who is holy, therefore we want holiness as well. That is something so marvelous, should be so appreciated God should be so glorified and honored and praised that angels perch, in a way, just trying to get a glimpse of how this all works out in us. Isn't that a wonderful picture? The angels want to know, how will this work out in the human condition? They are, after all, messengers sent from God. They are the liaisons between God and us on numerous occasions. Some of the greatest announcements that the world has ever heard were used through the voices of angels. And angels sit looking, longing, wondering, is the grace of God going to do in that person or in this person what I know His grace can do? I think they're engaged in a camp meeting like this. I believe the angels are looking on now. I believe they're wondering... You know, we've been working on so-and-so. We've been carrying messages to so-and-so. I wonder if this will be the night. You see, they do have a little bit of insider information, but they don't have all the insider information. They have to wait and watch and see, just like some of us have to as well. But they're eager to see what is going to happen because of God's grace on this scene and in these hearts tonight. Therefore, therefore, here then is the obedience, here then is the duty, here is what the inspired Peter shares with us and with his believers to whom he is sharing this word. There is a call here. There is a call to holiness. Wherever we look at any of the places where we are called to be holy, I want us to understand what this word call means. Before we move through the rest of this message and the rest of this text, I want us to understand that the call that God gives to us is one that is sobering, it is urgent, there is an appeal to it that you and I cannot, nor should we miss. There is an urgency to it that we should not put aside. I grew up in a home where we had family devotions every night except for Sunday. My dad was a pastor, and let me tell you something. Not only was he kind of a thundering presence in the pulpit and um, could preach the varnish off the pews, but he was also uh, an intimidating figure when we just had family devotions. Every one of us probably, if we got together later and talked about it as, as kids, five of us, we not only would listen to a Bible story or have something applied to us from God's Word and we would be asked questions about it, and you never knew who might be called on at what time. I just tried to, I was the last, I was the, I was the last, so I just tried to hide. I just tried to stay out of the fray and out of the fire. But, you know, as I got older, you couldn't do that. And as my siblings went off to college, the, the, uh, the Bible study group got smaller. So you could not avoid kind of being pinpointed at times. There was a laser beam on you at times. But I remember kind of learning how to play the game. Now, I kind of hate to admit that, but, you know, you kind of had to get along. You had to do what you had to do uh, to avoid some of the heat. So uh, when Dad would come to the end of the, of the Scripture he read or the Bible story he would take that, apply it, and he would begin, begin asking us questions. One time, I'll never forget it, there were only three of us there. My sister Mary, my sister Julie, and I was there. And we were in devotions. I, I really can't even remember what the passage was, but I remember that Dad began asking us, had we experienced, yet, entire sanctification? Now, can you imagine that in a... In a, in a Family devotional time? And Dad did just kind of calmly ask it. I mean, he got down to theological, intricate details and uh, was probing us uh, in the way that he was often accustomed to probing us. Thankfully, he posed the question to my sister Julie. He skipped me and he posed it to my sister Julie. But I was paying attention because she was older, and you learn, you, know, you learn what to do and what not to do by watching some of those things. And my dad said, Julia, Julia Ann. So when it got to that, it was serious. Julia Ann, have you been sanctified? I thought, I know, Julie. This is going to be good. <laughs> I'm listening. I'm paying close attention to this. This is going to be good. And I watched Julie kind of indifferently, kind of um, passively. Just say, well, you know, I figure if this is something God has for me, and if this is God's will for me, you know, I just figure um, it'll happen when he gets around to it. I thought, oh, man, we're dead. Um, I, I just thought this was the wrong answer to give. I'd listened to my dad's sermon, sermons enough, even though I slept through some of them, I had caught enough of them to understand that's the wrong answer. And I thought, Julie, Julie why did you do that? And my dad just kind of came up for air, and he said, Julie. And he looked, he looked pointedly at her. Julie, get after it. Get after it. And I wondered exactly what he meant. He he defined himself a little bit more, but he said, Don't you sit idly by. Don't you just wait to see if God somehow brings this to you. You are to be a seeker of this. Get after it. I'll never forget that. Never forget that moment. It helped me a lot also to know how to answer, how not to answer, if Dad posed the question to me. This is exactly what Peter is talking about in this text. The first point I want us to consider is expectation. Expectation. In the class meetings that John Wesley developed as individuals were awakened to the convicting presence of the Holy Spirit, one of the things John Wesley impressed upon those who had been awakened who were put in class meetings was expectation. He reminded them over and over again, and the leaders of each of those groups, teach those who are in your class meetings to expect their new birth moment and their entire sanctifying moment. Teach them to expect it. Expectation. Expectation does not mean sitting idly by. Expectation does not mean to be passive. In fact... Peter makes it clear what it means. Look at verse 13 with me. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Second, keep sober in spirit. And third, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Three sub-points of expectation. Prepare your minds for action. The word that he uses for mind in this text is an interesting one. It means to search in order to see through. You and I need to seek God through his word. You and I need to search out his truth with an attitude of pursuit with an attention to the details so that you and I can see through things and understand and comprehend and grasp what it is God is is expecting of us to do. Prepare your minds for action. In my denomination, we had a camp meeting just a little bit before this one, and the individual who came to speak to us asked something of us in advance that I thought was very interesting. He was going to preach the entire time from the Gospel of Mark. So what he asked us to do is he asked us in advance in one sitting to read through the Gospel of Mark. So I did that. The second thing is he asked us to go through and begin putting down um, some notes and writing down some things as we saw them studying it more in detail and highlighting those things that we thought stood out to us. The third thing that he asked us to do was get um, an app or whatever and listen to someone reading the Gospel of Mark and do it in one sitting. So all three of those things we were asked to do so that when he came to preach from the Gospel of Mark, we would be ready we would be ready. I really believe that falls in line with prepare your minds for action. It's interesting to me how we will give great detail to just about anything in our lives except seeking God. We will take just about anything seriously than seeking God. We'll go through all kinds of disciplines. We'll take on all kinds of responsibilities. You know, we'll get a coach, we'll, we'll get someone to cheer us on, we'll get someone who will teach us or instruct us, we'll pay money for uh, methods and methodologies to be given to us so that we'll learn something better or faster. But we give very, very little attention to figuring out what are the deep things of God in His Word. As a result, if we're not careful, we are clearly proverbially destined, if at best, to a mile wide and an inch deep. And Peter is saying here, we are called to prepare our minds for action. Dig into the Word of God. Study it. See it through. Understand it. Grasp it. Take it on aggressively. And do your best to learn what God is wanting to say to you. And don't just dabble in it. Don't be dabblers. Get into the Word of God with the, attention, with the intention of doing everything that the Holy Spirit brings to your attention to do. Second, he says, keep sober in spirit. Now, that isn't somber. You don't have to stop having fun. You, you don't have to go through some kind of a kind of monastic life. Peter is not calling us to that. But he is calling us to understand what's at stake. And may I just say to us, there's a lot at stake when you came here to Syker this week, this isn't just old home week. There's a lot at stake here. Truth goes out. It's taken by the Holy Spirit. It's applied to hearts. You and I are never the same. We hear stuff that we have to vote over and vote on, and we're never the same when we hear that truth. Do we get that? We don't just sit idly by. It just doesn't bounce off of us. No, we hear things. The Holy Spirit quickens it to our hearts, and we are never the same than when we first showed up. This is serious business, friends. Heaven and hell await the outcome of whether or not we do what God wants us to do. Are we aware of that, or have we forgotten that, or have we decided there is no hell? Well, bless your dear hearts, I don't encourage you to give that a try. May God help us to be sober in spirit. Third, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, don't look to any other. Don't look for any other source of help. Look To Jesus Christ, the grace giver. Look to Jesus as to what God aims to do in you through him. Look to Jesus intently because there are promises for you and for me in Jesus the Christ. The other issue about expectation is this. A call to holiness, an urgency to look into the things of God in order for us to be remade in his image that urgency should be upon us because we should expect that a holy God would do nothing else but just this. A holy God will call us to holiness. A holy God will make holiness accessible to us. A holy God will help us understand how it's livable for us, livable for us. You know, tomorrow, with God as my helper, I want to spend a little bit of time in the fact that You know, I think of my age right now, where I am, and I don't think that I am the age that I am, but then I look in the mirror and I realize it's sadly true. But when I realize the age that I am, there are certain things that have really, really, truly begun to sink in, and one of the things that has really begun to sink in is this. At a point in our lives, and please understand this, I'm not talking about a perfection that is unattainable. But I am saying we ought to be better than when we started out. And if we have defective temperaments, and we all do, by the way, just ask someone who knows you well. We all have defective temperaments. We all have idiosyncrasies. But you know what? I ought to be be better, even in the refining of my temperament, and in the refining of who I am in my personality than when I started out with Jesus a long time ago. I better not bug my wife as much as I possibly could if it were not for the grace of God. You know what I mean? Sometimes we kind of rejoice in the idea that we are still stuck where we were back there and God's okay with that. No, He's not. He aims to move us up. He aims to improve us. He aims to refine us. He aims to make us anew in His image. He aims to make us like Jesus. And that's serious business, friends. And like my dad said to Julie, get after it. Get after it. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you, fulfilled entirely in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Second, cooperation. Have you ever watched a child uncooperatively walk with their parent hand in hand? Have you ever watched that? It is a contest, isn't it? It is a battle of the wills, isn't it? And, and I, you know, it's amazing how strong and how dead weight and how difficult a little child can become when they are saying, while you have a grip on their hand, no, no, no. It's amazing, isn't it? And by the time you're done, you're lathered up like a Belgian workhorse and you're wondering, what in the world am I up against with this little child? I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I saw it this week. And I thought, bless your heart. Bless your heart. Kind of glad those days are over for me. Uh, What does Peter say? God should not ever have to take a born-again, blood-touched, blood-sprinkled child of God, kicking and screaming toward holiness. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? There's something defective even in the, the full impact of the new birth if someone opposes God's direction and God's will to that extent. So here's what Peter says. Verse 14. Not only are we supposed to do these things in expectation, but we are to walk with God hand in hand as obedient Children, Other versions have it, children marked by obedience. So if there's anything that ought to single us out as folks who hear the message of holiness, we should be compelled to cooperate with the God who is holy, who is calling us to be holy, because if we love him at all, and the newborn should, if we love him at all, we love who he is, we love what he's about, We love all that comes with Him, and we want to be like Him. We should expect that this God is going to call us to be holy. And like children marked by obedience, when He grasps our hand... We should be a child that does not plot their own course in life. We should be a child that does not kick back. We should be a child that doesn't stiffen one's limbs and try to, try to hold off their exerted direction. We should never, ever go to that extent with the God who wants to make us like himself. Obedient children are dependent upon their parents they are dependent upon their elders to lead them. The Holy Spirit will lead the believer in holiness if we choose not to revert to our old way. Because what Peter says is this, and it's quite a warning, as obedient children or children marked by obedience do not be conformed, molded by, or back into the pattern of the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Don't reverse course. Don't revert to the way that you were before you met Christ. Stay in his way. Walk in his way. Keep step with him. Keep your hand in his hand. Walk in the light as he gives it and take the leading that he aims to give you. If you will expect what God promises... Remember, there aren't any exemptions. If one individual can encounter all that God has promised, then everyone who ever follows him can too. And we must. The third thing that I want us to note is that we have then an invitation that is extended to us. We find it beginning in verse 15, but like the Holy One who called you, Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Do you notice the word all? Do you pick up on the word all? Not in some not when it's convenient, not when you've had opportunity to think about it and you're prepared to respond in a way because you've already tactically figured it out what's the good thing to do. No, even in those instantaneous responses to stimuli that you did not expect, we are called to be holy in all our behavior. What would happen to the church? What would happen to us if with all of our hearts we really wanted to be holy like that? What would happen to us if we really, truly, when we sing about it and talk about it and give lip service to it, what would happen if we really, really wanted to be like Jesus? If we really meant that, don't you think the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Christ, would help us to that end? Don't you think he would honor the most noble of motives that he could ever ignite in a human heart? Isn't that the greatest thing that we can ever be a part of, to truly want to be like Jesus? And wouldn't he help it happen? Wouldn't he make it possible? He gives us an invitation that is the most marvelous invitation we could ever have this side of the next life and this side of heaven, an invitation to be holy. We can look at it as something to be avoided. We can look at it and say, well, I'm, getting, I'm picking up on cues that that's the worst kind of life you could possibly live. There's no fun in it. There's no enjoyment in it. I want to stay away from it. If you don't believe that lie, and if you give your all to the invitation he extends, I guarantee you, you will never regret it. The gods of heathenism and paganism, they flaunt their impurity and their immorality and they look for followers to jump right into the muck. But the invitation that God gives us is an invitation to come and adore Him, come and love Him, love Him as He is, love Him in all of His holiness. It's an invitation to come and love Him, which ultimately leads to to imitation. So the invitation inclines us and moves us toward the privilege and the opportunity of adoration, which ultimately opens up the opportunity to look like Him, sound like Him, be like Him, to imitate Him. We will love God. We will love who He is. We will, uh, we will love all that comes with Him. We will want to be like him. When I was driving back from Lancaster today and praying along the way, and don't worry, I don't close my eyes. Um, God understands. And boy, the traffic was a mess today to get back here. I mean, it really was. It was just kind of interesting. And on some of these roads, you can't pass for 30 miles. And I was behind a dear, loving person, dear soul, wonderful soul, I'm sure, that uh, never, ever had to heed the 35-mile-an-hour signs because they weren't even doing 35. So I prayed all the more as I was making my way back here, wondering if I'd make it before the bell. I told Matt earlier, then I heard the bell right before 7 o'clock, and I was totally confused. I was in my room, and I thought, I've heard the bell. I heard the bell. I heard the bell. Then I heard the bell again, and I thought, oh, my, I'm not ready. So I hurriedly got ready and almost ran down here, and uh, caught the kids. It was fun to catch the kids. So it was kind of a frantic deal, getting here and then getting down to the service. But what I was praying on the way up as I was thinking about this message, and I'll just share this with you. I was just speaking to the Lord, sharing my own heart, talking about my own life, my own tendencies, my own temperament, my own personality, asking the Lord and meaning it to be more like Him, to be more like Jesus. Yeah, behind a 35-mile-an-hour in a 55-mile-an-hour person. Yes, wanting to get here today And not tomorrow. Now, you know, I hear a lot of stuff. I hear a lot of stuff about, you know, basically God's okay with us being terribly impatient and all that stuff. And you know what? At least that God quickens me, talks to me, the Holy Spirit checks me, and the Holy Spirit expects better of me than that. So I kind of had a prayer meeting, and I, I had a time with Jesus on the way up here in that moment that, given my temperament, you, I don't know if you picked up on anything, but I, I you know, I, we all have a temperament. Patience is not necessarily my virtue, but that's no excuse. That's no excuse. I want to be like Jesus. And when, when He aims to make us holy... We can personify that. He wants to make us like Jesus, and he means it. That might be staggering to us, but he really means it. The best news about it is he can do it. He can really do it. He can make us like Jesus. The motivating compulsion to be holy has to be linked with the prevalent pursuit to love God with all of our being, to love him as he is, to want a relationship with him as he is, to appreciate his character as he is, understanding that he is holy, his name is holy. So I'll close with just four thoughts. The call to holiness is a call that we should expect. A call to holiness is a call we should want from a holy God. Think about this. I don't know of any sane pastor. I don't know of any sane layman that says, Oh, I hope to be a part of an unholy church. Just go to a lot of board meetings and you figure that out, that we're not there. It's it's exactly what we ought to expect. It's also exactly what we should want. It's also what we hear from a holy God. And as Wesley said in his statement about foreknowledge and God's offer of grace to us, There is always the necessity to answer his gift with obedience and duty. We must answer this call from a holy God. He doesn't just ask some. He doesn't just ask a few. He doesn't just hang around Camp Syker. He brings this call to every one of us Depending on our light, he brings it to every one of us. And you and I must answer this gift that comes as a product of grace with obedience and duty. Will we answer the call? Will you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, We thank you for an attentive audience. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that you're here in this place and you are at work. We may not see it, but we know you're at work. We may not even observe what you're doing around us, but we know that you are at work. Help holiness to be more than just a a moniker or a slogan to us. Help us to understand this is your invitation for us to be like you. Help us to seek you, get after it, and pursue you to know you in this way. If there's someone tonight that just needs to offer obedience needs to take a step of faithfulness, we pray, Lord, that you would draw and compel that person to make this a night of coming after you with with a mind ready to act. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Father, an expectation is so much greater than a hope. Hope may or may not come. We long for it. Lord, expectation is we have every reason to anticipate that it's going to be reality. So, Lord, we expect to be sanctified in this life. And yet, Lord, we've been reminded tonight, it doesn't just come. We have to go after it. And so, Lord, we're seeking that. We're seeking it with the expectation that you will sanctify us wholly, entirely. And, Lord, we just sang those words. Those who seek you, you will never say no. And so, Lord, in these moments, we come seeking you. Lord, for some of us, maybe it's that first time of, of saying yes to you. Lord, we have sensed your grace at work in our lives, but... We've held you at arm's length, but, Lord, no more. And Tonight, we want to say yes. And so, Lord, let that happen. Lord, for others of us, we are longing to not only have the, the symptoms of our sin dealt with, but to deal with the root of it. And so, Lord, we're longing for sanctification, and so we come to you, and you never turn us away. You never turn us down. So, Lord, whether... It's not an altar of prayer, whether it's we make the place we stand tonight or the place we sit an altar of prayer for those who are online. Lord, may this be that day, that moment when you who never say no hears a yes from us and that invitation to imitate you To be more like Jesus in every way. Lord, it's what we long for. As we go now from this time of worship, Lord, don't let us go. If you're still stirring our hearts to move. Lord, we know we respond. May we respond rightly. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.